HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. show about finding, preparing, and eating food. Here I am. little glitch there. Uh, on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides, your host, and I'm back. I was away, but I'm back. I always come back. Just sometimes I go away. Now, if you've been listening to this show for a while, which, you know, hopefully you have because, you know, it's episode 103, um, you probably at some point in the past heard me mention my husband, Adam. Now, he comes up in conversation sometimes in the show, you know, random things. We've been together for 13 years. We've been living together for 12 and a half of those years. It's New York. You move in with someone a lot faster, you know, if their real estate situation is better than yours and mine was. So you move in together faster than you might in another city. Um, so, yeah, 13 years. But here's our little dark domestic secret. Even though I refer to him as my husband, we're not actually married. <gasps> oh, the scandal, the indecency of it. How immoral. Oh, wait, I've been catching up on my Downton Abbey reruns and I'm, I'm confused. I'm not scandalized by my own living situation. Now, I consider him my husband and I refer to him as such because when you're almost 50 years old and a woman or even as a man, it sounds really stupid to use the word boyfriend or for him to use the word girlfriend. So I'm not going to call him that. And he doesn't want to call me his girlfriend. And I don't really want to be a girlfriend. And we are for all intents and purposes, not intensive purposes, as I've been hearing people say lately, a married couple. We're not, except we're not. We never got married. We're not even legal domestic partners. 
So what are we? I don't know, partners? Well, that makes us sound like lawyers or lesbians. And even though I look very androgynous as it is, uh, I'm not. So what are we? Significant others? That was a term that was floated around in the 80s for people like us. My significant other. Or Puzzle Q. Anyone remember that? That's a, that's a gem. That's a fossil from the past. A Puzzle Q. People of the opposite sex sharing living quarters. Puzzle Q. That never really got off the ground. Not like significant other did either. But so what are we? There's, you know, there's no term for it. It's ridiculous. There's no word for what we are. Long time companion. Or as my father used to refer to his longtime companion, his lady friend. Am I Adam's lady friend? No, I'm his wife, basically, just without any legal documentation. So there's no word for us. Yet again, English has failed us. Yet again, the language of Shakespeare and Woody Guthrie and Genji Cohan, all those people writing in English, and we can't come up with a word for what Adam and I are. So a few years ago, he decided to just come up with a word. He's like, we don't have a word. Let's make up a word. And he made up a word. And the word was buzzgack. Now, why not? It's as random and randomly generated as any other word because all words were invented at some time in history. Somebody just made up a word for headphone or microphone or table or pizza, right? But it never really stuck except for with my BFF, Lisa Weissman, who I just visited in Oregon, who is quite dyslexic. And she... Remembered it, but not as buzzgack, but as bizwack, because in her dyslexic mind, that's how it came out. And she still uses it. But it's funny how that word hasn't caught on out there in the public arena, that people don't use it all the time. Hey, are you going to the company picnic at Hanging Rock this weekend? Oh, yes. And I'm bringing my buzzgack along with me, too. Great. Mine's coming, too. We'll see you there. Doesn't work. So English fails us, and it fails us in the food arena, too. Because when we need words to describe a flavor or a smell, we usually have to use a comparison word. It's fruity, or it's floral, or it's nutty, or it's herbaceous, or some of my favorite ones like in wine, it smells like wet cardboard, not dry cardboard, or dog, or barnyardy. That's a cheese term, barnyardy. They're all descriptive. They're all poetic. They're all applicable, but they're all borrowed. They're not words that were intently or expressly made up for that particular flavor or smell. They're borrowed from other things. Why can't we have a whole new set of words? Why can't a food taste smoo or flinch or schloozy? What do those words mean? This species of wild mushroom has a schloozy aroma but a flinch taste. With the wine that we've paired with it, it'll have an overwhelmingly smoo quality to it. It works. It gives you an idea of what the flavors are. It describes them. We all have to just agree on them. If we can just all agree on what flinch and smoo and schloozy represent, we've got ourselves a whole new set of vocabulary words specifically for food and wine, for tasting, for smell. Why not? I'm starting a campaign. But instead, we rely on the euphemism or the comparison or the almost but not quite accurate word to represent what we're talking about. The stand-in word, the look-alike or sound-alike or suggest-alike word, the almost word. So here's what I'm getting at. You know, it always takes a while. So I just came back from a trip to L.A. Well, first, as I said, I went to Portland to visit Lisa Weissman, and then I went to L.A. to visit my cousin, Robin. Now, if there was ever a city that was built 
on euphemism, it's L.A. Because, first of all, it's called a city, but it's not really a city. Not like New York is a city. It's more like a bunch of small towns and villages strung together by freeways. But I actually really kind of like L.A. in an odd way. Maybe because I'm from New York and I've lived here my whole life. L.A. seems very interesting and exotic to me. I would even consider living there temporarily. Like if somebody, let's say, wanted to turn Let's Get Real into a TV show and they said that I had to move out there for six months to shoot it, I'd be on the first plane west. And while I was there, I got a great driving tour of the actual city downtown part of L.A., like the old city part of it. And that was super cool. How come people don't want to live there? I loved it. Apart from like the tent city and, you know, the homelessness and all that. So anyway, L.A., though, to me, is like a total city of metaphor and lookalikes and soundalikes. You know, Hollywood and Disney and fantasy. You know what I mean. And all those fake boobs. Everywhere you look, fake boobs. You can't swing a dead cat without hitting fake boobs in L.A. So one morning on this visit to L.A., there were a few of us staying at Robin's house. It was a sort of reunion of sorts. One morning, either... On our daily hike or on our way to breakfast after our daily hike, which we did daily, I can't remember, the subject of milk came up. Now, Robin, my cousin, is like the number one biggest fan and listener of Let's Get Real. Now, she keeps up with this show, if you know what I'm saying. And she has used Let's Get Real as part of her total overhaul program of her food and her lifestyle. And she's been doing that the last few years, and she looks great. And she's doing great. But we often talk about food and stuff like that a lot when we're out together, hiking, whatever we're doing. She has a big picture on the Wall of Fame down here in the Foodiness Fallout Shelter, by the way. It's like big picture with lights and flattering, retouching and everything. Now, I think we were talking about milk because it was the morning and I really needed my big cup of English breakfast tea with milk that I have every day first thing in the morning. But Robin really rarely does any caffeine. She's just not a caffeine person. She's not a coffee person or a tea person. She just doesn't do it. There are some people out there who just don't do caffeine in the morning. She's not. I am. I'm a tea person. Now, I like an iced coffee or a latte now and then, you know, but my day starts with tea. Good, strong English tea with milk. But in the hotter months, like now, I pour my milky English tea over ice in the morning. And I think that's what we were discussing because people have often looked at me strangely when I do that, but why not? Because you drink iced coffee with milk, you drink iced tea, not with milk, but you can. You drink hot tea with milk, so why not iced tea over milk? I mean, over ice with milk. And we were discussing that, I think, as we headed out for our morning hike in Fryman Canyon. Now, Fryman Canyon is the canyon where after you hike it, you end right by George Clooney's house. Not that you can see anything over the 20-foot fence surrounded by, surrounding the house and patrolled by big scary dogs that surround the whole perimeter, but I've been told it's his house. And I put my iced milky tea in a big plastic sippy cup, and we were off on our hike. And as we walked the three feet from the house to the car, because remember, we were in L.A., Robin was saying something very interesting to me about alternative milks like soy and almond and their ilk. And she was expressing, because we are in a moment right now of all sorts of non-milk milks, as we'll get to in a moment. And she was expressing her annoyance with the fact that they are actually all called milk at all. Since they are not milk, they are all from plant sources, not mammals. And there are no nipples involved in producing them. And therefore, therefore, shouldn't be calling themselves milk. 
Because Robin says, if it doesn't come from a nipple, it's not milk. Now, yet again, a failure of English. I had bumped up against this issue not that long ago in a consulting project meeting I was having with some vegans who I'm consulting for. And I totally agreed with her. Of all those non-dairy, non-nipply milks, that should absolutely not be called milk because they aren't. The vegans didn't even want to use the term milk in association with coconut milk on the menu because it implied an acceptance of an animal product paradigm. And this was in New York, not L.A., believe it or not. So, yet again, we bump up against the problem of language. What do we call them? Well, therein lies the problem, the buzzgack conundrum, if you will. We have no word for them. They're not milk. Robin's right. Somewhere in there is a house of cards joke. Robin's right. Anyway, so what are they? Well, in a sense, they're classic foodiness because they're calling themselves milks and they're purporting to be as nutritious or serving the same needs culinarily as milks, but they're not milk. Oh, sure, if you put shredded raw coconut in and water or soaked raw almonds and water in a blender and you whiz away, you get nut milks, in quotes. And they're delicious, and they have many applications in cooking and baking, and they're a thing, a totally separate thing. And, I mean, Thai food is practically built on a foundation of coconut milk. But if we want to get into semantics here and foodiness, deception, and industrial fakeouts, not milk. No nipples, no milk. The gospel, according to Robin Agronoff Ferber, says that, and I'm down with that. I support her proclamation. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food here on Heritage Radio Network with me, your host, Erica Wise. So what do we call those non-milk fluids? The grain and nut and who knows what else white stuff in the Tetra Packs that fill the shelves of supermarkets today. The almond, soy, hemp, oat, rice, hazelnut, grain, whitish liquids that attach the M word to their base nouns because English has failed them too. Juice? No, of course not. Juice has to be from fruit, right? So it's taken. Essence? Mm, extract? Nah. Elixir? I don't know. We need a word. We need a buzzgack type of word. A made-up word. Or maybe something like not milk. As in walking into Starbucks and saying, I will have a grande decaf chai low foam latte with soy not milk. That works. And being in L.A., it makes total sense because if all the boobs are fake, then the milk must be too, right? I mean, how can you get real milk from a fake boob? As Robin says, if it doesn't come from a nipple, it's not milk. Now, before everyone jumps all over me and gets all ugly all up in my grass-fed grill, let me just say 
that I get the fact that some people are either truly allergic to dairy products or do actually have problems with digesting lactose or just want to avoid animal products. I get it, okay? I know something like 70% of the world's population cannot digest lactose. I am lucky. I am from a European stock. We can digest lactose. I'm lucky. I get it. I understand it, okay? I'm not judging. Well, I am judging because that's all I ever do, but I get it, okay? And I understand that some people want to avoid animal products. I totally get that, too. It's not the issue here today, so don't send me mean emails, okay? You want to choose to avoid dairy. It's totally your choice. Mazel tov. Good luck. All I'm saying is whatever you're buying in those shelf-stable Tetra Pak boxes, it's not milk. But it isn't much else either, except mostly water. Hmm. Water's free. Not for long in California, but here it's free. And thickeners, like carrageenan, which is not so good and may potentially be carcinogenic. And uh uh-oh, we've been eating it for a long time, and now, uh uh-oh, not so good. And then whitening agents to make them look opaque and milky and sugar. And then there's about 30 cents worth of almonds in a quart of almond milk. Not exactly the nutritional powerhouse of dairy. Not really a nutritional powerhouse at all. So they pump it up with added protein and synthetic vitamins. Now, I love almonds. I eat almonds every day. But if I want a white milk-like beverage from them, I'd make it myself. I would soak raw almonds in water, and then I would whiz them in a blender, and then I would strain, and then I know what I'm getting. You know what I'm getting? Almond, not milk. Most non-milks have very little of the actual noun from their first name in them. A few almonds, some cheap rice puree, some oat flakes, some GMO soy perhaps, and a lot of water and sugar. Because without the sugar, they taste really bad. Kind of bitter, a little metallic kind of nasty. And because milk is naturally sweet as it's full of lactose, which is a sugar, they sweeten them up to match the sweetness profile of dairy milk. So if you're lactose intolerant and can't drink milk, maybe try fermented dairy instead like kefir because the bacteria in the fermentation process gobble up the lactose and make it go away or age cheeses. There's no lactose in cheese. I know the industry wants you to believe that you have to buy their lactate branded products, but you don't. Or how about goat's milk? No lactose in that. And I love goat yogurt and goat cheese and goat products. And goat yogurt and goat milk? Well, goat milk is the most nutritionally similar to human milk. It's pretty close. Huh. I mean, seriously, we should be able to buy human milk. We can buy any other kind of milk. If I can buy hazelnut milk or hemp milk or oat milk, why can't I buy people milk? Right? It's probably less processed. Now, there is the unquestionable weirdness about milk and milk consumption that we need to address. The big white lactating elephant in the room needs to be addressed. And that is that humans are the only mammals who, A, continue to drink milk throughout life after weaning, and B, are the only mammals that drink the milk of other mammal species. Mm -hmm. I've talked about this before. It's kind of gross and kind of weird when you think about it. But we're the only species that do both of those things. Continue to drink milk once we've been weaned and drink the milk of other animals. 
Mm-hmm. Now, we're also the only mammal species to have invented Netflix, the iPhone, and chocolate. So we may not be that crazy after all. And we did get this way because of our, our big brains, which got big because we invented cooking and dairy agriculture and allowed us to do so and eat lots more protein and get the big brains, which allowed us to invent the iPhone. So maybe we're on to something. Now, if one day in the future... A herd of dairy goats showed up my door, showed up at my door, knocked on the door with their little cloven hooves, and they forced me into a pen and they hooked me up to a milking machine to make me their milk producing slave animal in revenge for us doing that to them for all these thousands of years. Well, then the joke would be on them because by then I'll already have been through menopause and <laughs> so no milk. So haha, goats too little too late, as they say. Now, the foodiness industrial complex has sunk their teeth into the non-milk milks category like crazy lately. And their deceptive drool is all over those neat little quart boxes these days. Have you seen how many non-milk milks are on the store shelves lately? I took a count at Trader Joe's the other day. Hemp, hazelnut, oat, grain, rice, almond, not to mention soy, coconut. Although we should never even mentioned soy because you just should never drink any soy milk product at all for multiple reasons, which I shall refrain from here other than to say man boobs. Not that the dairy industrial complex is any better by God. No, the dairy industrial complex is just as bad as the foodiness industrial complex. All that RGBH, you know, recombinant bovine growth hormone, ugh, all that grain and soy feeding, all that forced year-round lactation, ugh, no. They're just as bad. I mean, if you're going to drink milk, it's got to be grass-fed. It's got to be organic and preferably raw. Now, I can't get raw milk here in my home state of New York because my state government feels the need to protect me from that. Apparently, they think it's unsafe and I need to be protected. But really, they're just protecting their dairy industry from the evils of raw milk. But if you have access to raw milk, well... Let me know. Maybe I can cross state lines and, you know, we can make a deal. Are you listening to me, Pennsylvania? Hello? So industrial cow milk is just as bad as industrial soy milk or industrial almond milk or hemp milk or rice milk or coconut milk or any of those. Maybe even worse, really, because the dairy cattle are like giant concentrators of all the toxins and pesticides and heavy metals that they ingest from their sad factory farmed and fed lives. But lucky for this... Lucky for us, there's grass-fed milk in our local markets here, pretty much everywhere. And if you can find it near you, for God's sake, spend the extra dollar or two on it. Don't cheap out on something as elemental as milk. I mean, seriously, people who tell me that $5, now I'm talking like middle-class people with jobs, okay? This is not a comment on poverty, but people who tell me that $5 for a half of gallon of grass-fed milk is too expensive, while they spend $150 a month on cable and $100 a month on wireless, and they'll drop $14 on a stupid, pretentious three-ounce cocktail or $6 for a sugar bomb frappuccino every afternoon? Are you seriously telling me you can't swing to buy the good milk or the pastured eggs for $5 a dozen because you just spent your last 150 bucks getting your hair highlighted? Priorities, people. Simple Priorities. We're going to take another short break so I can calm down. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Weitz. Please remember that you can follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. I could use some more Twitter followers. Come on, people. Follow. Click on that little bird. Uh, you can also find Let's Get Real on Facebook. You can also check out my website, which is letsgetrealshow.com. And you should always remember that every Heritage Radio show ever produced from this little wooden box that I sit in right now is available to you on heritageradionetwork.org and that we are a listener-supported nonprofit station. So you need to click that little donate button. Become a member. I'm a member. We're all members. I personally got a phone call from Patrick Martins, the owner of the station and founder of Heritage Foods, strong-arming me into re-upping my membership this year, which I gladly did. I didn't feel pressured. But you need to join because we are listener-supported radio. And you need to support us. And all our shows are also available on iTunes, you know. Just FYI, they're out there. And they're free. So come on, you're getting it for free on iTunes. You're getting it for free on the website. You get it for free on my website. Can you cough off the 60 bucks? Or are you too busy spending it on your Fancy Pants cocktails? And what are you going to get from the Fancy Pants cocktail other than too much alcohol and sugar and a headache the next morning? Right? I know. So anyway, last night I was at my gym taking my badass boot camp class that I take often because, you know, I'm a badass. And as I was leaving the gym, there was a guy there with like a little station set up, like a table with like a cooler. And he was handing something out, samples of something. Now, being thrifty, I often like to take the free sample, although often the free sample is for something so totally horrible and awful that I put it down on the table and I walk away in disgust and I make some unnecessary comment, especially when it happens at the gym because the gym is like ground zero for foodiness bullshit. But this guy was from Organic Valley. Huh. Speaking of grass-fed milk. Now, Organic Valley is a wonderful company that supports local dairy farm co-ops and will sell you milk in your state from your local farmer at your mainstream supermarket. So I support Organic Valley. I buy their milk. I like them. So I was like, huh, look at that. Organic Valley here at the gym. What are you giving out? So I stopped. Now, even a good, honest, real food company like Organic Valley can apparently fall into the sticky paws of the foodiness monster. Because the Organic Valley guy was handing out samples of their new milk protein drink. Milk protein drink. Milk already has protein in it. Food has protein in it. You don't have to put it in a little bottle. Milk protein drink, like a little shake in a little plastic bottle. Great. More plastic bottle waste because that's what we need. And these were called Organic Balance and Organic Fuel. Organic Balance and Organic Fuel. Apparently, one's for the chicks and one's for the guys, or at least that's the feeling I got. The fuel had more calories at 260 a bottle and 26 grams of sugar. The balance had 190 calories per bottle and 23 grams of sugar. Uh Uh-huh. You heard me right. So I picked one up and I read the label, as I tend to do compulsively. And what was in their power protein mini drinks? Well, milk, skim milk, milk. Sugar, a lot of sugar, chocolate, all organic, of course, sugar. Did I mention that? Oh, yeah, organic sugar, plus some thickeners and stevia and some enzymes. So little bottles of chocolate milk, basically, with bumped up milk protein and 
A good dose of sugar plus a questionable sweetener. Now, stevia is from a plant. People think like, oh, it's great. It's safe, whatever. I'm still not so sure about stevia. So basically what they're selling is like a sports drink product. They're promoting it as a recovery drink, as a quick pick-me-up, as a snack. Um, It's milk. You could just buy yourself a little container of milk and drink the milk without all the sugar in it. Now, yes, this has chocolate in it. But you know what? Unsweetened chocolate milk is actually really good. I drink that. It's all about that elevated sugar threshold that we have that I scream about. I haven't screamed about that in a while. We need to lower that threshold. Do we need 26 grams of sugar in that little bottle of milk? Mm, I don't know. Now, I suppose it's better than buying a chemical-filled, colored, flavored, sweetened version of a sports drink or a sports recovery drink as they're pitching them now because it's not enough that you have to drink the sports drink while you work out, but then afterwards you've worked out so hard you need a recovery drink. Like they're going to wheel you into the recovery room and put the little bottle and an IV in your arm so you can recover from your 45-minute boot camp class. Now, I work out harder than anyone in those classes. I work out so hard I feel like I'm going to throw up, but I don't need a recovery drink. I just go home and have tea. But that's a lot of calories and a lot of sugars for one little bottle. So, of course, I put the bottle down and I marched home and indignantly, as I am wont to be, indignantly tweeted to them about the 23 and 26 grams of sugar being an awful lot for a little bottle of chocolate milk. And they tweeted right back and said to me that only 7 grams of the sugar are added and the rest are naturally found in the milk and the lactase enzyme that they add. Well, okay, I suppose that is true. Milk does have quite a bit of sugar, and I wish that they had sort of broken it out on the label. So I tweeted back a mea culpa because I really do like Organic Valley, and if they wanted to, I don't know, sponsor a show or something, we would be super-duper happy to have them here, and they are always welcome. But my point is that they've kind of fallen down that foodiness rabbit hole a little bit. Somewhere in Organic Valley, a rabbit dug a hole, and they're starting to fall down into it. Do, because do we really need more little plastic prepackaged drinks on the shelf? Even if it's basically just organic chocolate milk, isn't it still kind of foodiness? Albeit organic, made from local milk foodiness. Does the world need more little bottles of sweetened stuff? Do we really need recovery drinks? How about just water? How about going home and making your own chocolate milk? If it truly possesses such magical recovery, recovery properties, you could just go home and make some yourself. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I work out pretty damn hard these days, and I recover just fine with a big, tall, sippy cup of iced, milky English breakfast tea. Preferably, of course, drunk in my cousin's air-conditioned Audi as I drive past George Clooney's house in the sweltering heat of L.A. on my way to eat somewhere really cool and have a breakfast made with organic nectarines and local arugula, which is what we did in L.A. Just watch out for all the fake boobs. Because as Robin says, if it doesn't come from a boob, no, what did Robin say? If it doesn't come from a nipple, it's not milk. And I don't think that fake boobs can produce milk either. Just a thought. Anyway, that's all the time we have for today. I've run out like I want to do. But thanks for listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, eating food here on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks to Jack Inslee in the control room. Thanks to Ben Kaplan, who wrote my theme music, who is moving back to where? California. Sad to see him and Katie, his wife, go. But I'll be here. I'm staying here. Because where else can a bitter New Yorker live except in New York for now.
So we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening and stay away from the non-milk milk. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.